Welcome to Everyday Martial Artist, a weekly podcast where you'll join me, Brian Doucet, as I interview a different martial artist each episode and hear their story. Some guests you may have heard of, and some you probably haven't. Be sure to subscribe where all your favorite podcasts are available. Also, visit our website at everydaymartialartist.com. If you're listening for a specific interview, I sure hope you'll stay and check out the other episodes. A very special thank you to Topher Williams for our custom theme music. And now, the newest episode of Everyday Martial Artist. Everyday Martial Artist is brought to you by KOonline.com for all your martial arts needs. Sparring and safety gear, rank belts, uniforms, weapons, patches, and more. Wholesale supplies made by martial artists for martial artists. Visit us today at KO-Online.com. Hello and welcome to Everyday Martial Artist. I'm your host, Brian Doucette. And as we do every week, we're joined by a brand new guest talking about their life and their journey throughout the world of martial arts. My guest today is a martial artist, an author, a teacher, an actor, a stuntman, and more. He was born in Tarzana, California, the son of a wrestling mother and a boxing father. Started his martial arts journey at a very young age, competing in peewee boxing at the age of five. He's appeared in numerous movies and TV series like Meals on Wheels with Jackie Chan, Roadhouse, Digstown, Gross Point Blank, Chicago Hope, Alias, Criminal Minds, and more. He started competing in point martial arts tournaments in 1964 after witnessing Bruce Lee's now famous demonstration at the Internationals in Long Beach. Retired from kickboxing with an amazing record of 63 wins and no losses. He's in the WKL Hall of Fame, the Black Belt Hall of Fame, with numerous other awards and recognitions under his name. His autobiography, which you heard me talk about many times, The Jet, co-written with Tom Bleeker, is one of my favorite books. Please welcome my guest today, Sensei Benny the Jet Yurkidas. How are you doing today, sir? I'm very good, thank you. So fine. <laughs> A lot, of, a lot of stuff there. <laughs> You've led quite the life. Yeah. <laughs> kind of how we like to kick things off with, with all my guests. I want to go back to the beginning. I know I kind of touched on it that you started boxing at a very young age, but kind of what, what started that? Was that, I know your dad was a boxer. Was that something that he just decided at a young age to put you in or, or did you want to do it? Actually, you know, uh, when kids at three years old had fire trucks, I had boxing gloves. So <laughs> at the age of five, I was already competing boxing peewee division at the Olympic Auditorium. Wow. And so at the Olympic Auditorium with Sensei Jean LaBelle, actually his mother, Eileen Leeton, owned the Olympic. My sister, Lily, she actually did roller derby. Uh, you know, she, yeah. uh, she was on the Bombers, LA Bombers. And my mother wrestled there with Sensei Jean LaBelle. Wow. And... I actually fought there and actually started, uh, you know, this is the first time actually I fought the Muay Thai fighter from 73 to 75. I was fighting the World Series of Martial Arts. So I'm going to back up a little bit just mm -hmm. to catch you up. Yeah, definitely. And so uh, in 60 and 64, I was actually doing Kibo Karate. And this is where I was with uh, Birozaki and... Uh, Ed Park, Mr. Ed Parker. Okay. And so and so I started training and competing. And then in 64, Bruce Lee came on. That's when I first saw him. And I moved up. And he was talking about internal training. He was talking about the four-inch strike. And he had this one guy about 250 pounds. He had a metal plate on his chest. And Bruce had his fingers on this metal plate. And he was talking about internal training. My mother is because she's Indian. Also, she used to talk about internal power, but I never understood my mother. But with some reason, Bruce Lee was talking about internal power, how he generates this. I connected and I started to understand what my mother was saying. And he went, oh, and he hit this metal plate. This guy went flying back four feet, hit the chair, went over the chair. 
I jumped up. I said, I want to do that. <laughs> and um, from that point on, I asked my brother, Arnold, I said, can, can I spar with him? And he said, you don't have enough experience. So from that point on, I started to go into every tournament and I took grand champion in every karate tournament there was. And I told my brother, can I spar with him now? And he said, you don't have enough experience. So then I started, okay, I said, uh, in 70, I started boxing. I, I figured, okay, I want this uh, martial arts, bare knuckles. I mean, when we were here, we were hitting, you know, I mean, heads, four heads were splitting open. So, I mean, it was, and throwing on concrete, stomping on concrete. And wow. all the way up until 70, I, I wanted to. I wanted to actually prove to my brother that I'm worthy of to spar with him. So I started boxing professionally with Bobby Chacon and uh, with Randy Shields. I was actually working with him and got uh, Bobby Chacon ready for all his uh, championship vibes. And then my brother, I was just going to turn pro. And my brother said to me, do you want to do the full contact karate? And I said, what's full contact karate? And he says, well, it's karate to the knockout. And I said, I won't get disqualified. He said, it's to the knockout. <laughs> and I said, but I won't get disqualified. I couldn't get it through my head <laughs> what that meant. So my brother, my youngest brother, Adam, myself, and my brother-in-law, Blinky, we all went to Hawaii. And it was called the World Series of Martial Arts. No rules, no weight divisions, no height, no nothing. It was elimination. So that first day, I fought seven times. Wow. And... I stopped seven of my opponents. The first time I knocked my opponent down, he was, and he got back up. I hit him. This time he was out. And I said, oh, here he goes. They're going to disqualify me. And they raised my hand. I said, all right, I didn't get disqualified. <laughs> so I completed seven others. And then the next day, I'm supposed to fight six more times. And some of the guys didn't want to fight no more. That They had it. So I ended up fighting three more times. And the last fight I had, I'm the second to the last fight I had was Bernus White, the Marine champion. And he was six foot three. And I tell you what, he was tough. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he, talking about Marine uh, warfare, we, we went and I stopped him in the third, third round I stopped wow. him. And so uh, I told my brother-in-law, because he, there was only four of us left. I fought Bernice White, and, he, and my brother-in-law was supposed to fight uh, Dana Gustin, which is six foot three, two hundred and forty-five pounds, and he is the Hawaiian favorite. So I told my brother-in-law, "If you don't knock him out, you're not going to win. Hey, they're going to give it to him because they don't want to see you and me fight. They want to see, you know, the lady, uh, You know, they want to see Samson and Goliath, man. They want to <laughs> see, you know, they want to see that fight. And sure enough, he went the distance and. He didn't, uh, uh, Dana Goodson got it, and I ended up fighting Dana Goodson. And I knew this was going to happen, so uh, he thought I was going to run from him, but I ran right at him. I chased him like a leech sucking on his blood. I wouldn't <laughs> let him go. And finally, I won him. And that was my first grand champion And um, from full contact karate. Now, I won all these other tournaments, you know, grand champion, all these tournaments, but this was the first full contact karate if you want to call it mma so mm -hmm. be it because there was no rules no way matter of fact in the third round i was getting tired and he started to i had him i picked him over my head i'm, I'm a good judo man i picked him up threw him on the ground i jumped on top of him and he started to turn around i spit my mouthpiece out and i bit him on the chest <laughs> wow and he and he pumped he pump strike my face and we both get up, and my teeth marks are on his chest. And he said, you bit me. And I said, I was getting tired. <laughs> and 
and, wow. and so I ended up I ended up uh, stopping him in the fourth, and uh, that was my first title, full contact. I mean, full contact right? It was called the World Series of Martial Arts, my first title. And so I told my brother, I came back from Hawaii, and I told my brother, now I deserve to fight Bruce. And then uh, not too much longer after that, uh, he passed away. I never had a chance to. I, You know what? There was nothing I wanted to prove. I just wanted to test myself, my ability of speed. Because uh, I have nine black belts and nine different styles, and I created, you know, and I was doing mm-hmm. things that I was just ahead of my time, and I wanted to see if this would work against him. And that was the only reason, not yeah. for any other reason. And then um, I ended up teaching I ended up teaching his daughter, Shannon Lee, and, you know, we did our first movie together. But from that point on, the journey, the journey went on, and, and from 73 to 75, I was defending my title in full contact karate. And and then my brother said to me, you know, he was calling me a world champion. And I said, how can I be a world champion? I haven't been outside the United States doing this. He said, you want to fight out, out, out of the country? I said, if you want to call me a world champion? Yeah. So he said, okay. And then two months later, he came back to me and said, you want to fight Muay Thai? I said, yeah, I'll fight him. I thought that was his name. <laughs> I had no idea what Muay Thai was. Nobody. This was in 75. Yep. You know, and I, I had no idea what Muay Thai was. And I said, yeah, I'll fight him. So they brought two Muay Thai fighters from Thailand, two champions. And Ernest Hart fought the first one. And Ernest Hart was beating them. And then he got stopped in the third round. So then I come out and he's, you know, and I'm in the corner and he's doing his prayer. I never seen that before. I never knew what it was. And his music, so I kind of just rock into his music. And, and and so the Thai people think I'm making fun of him. And I never seen that. So I was just kind of moving with his with, with his with the music. And when he finished, he got up and he came toward me and he seemed like shooting an arrow at me. And I smiled and put my thumbs up. And he was pissed. Man, <laughs> he was mad. He went back and I, whatever he was saying to his corner man, all I know is the bell rang. He came at me and he, you know, now I had, I've been, I had Charlie horses before, mm-hmm. but I've never had anybody try to break my legs. He hit me so hard. My eyes bulged out of my forehead. Wow. And so I'm a high jumper. You know, matter of fact, I almost went to the Guinness book of record from a standing position, jumping seven feet high. This guy was kicking my thighs. I was jumping over his legs because I didn't know what else to do. So in the second round, I was telling my brother, what do I do? He says, kick him back. And I said, oh, yeah. <laughs> I went back and I just kicked him as hard as I could. And he late checked me. Oh, my God, that hurt it worse. Wow. Man, you know, my shins were my, my shins were hurting like crazy. It was it was like I was I was pulsating my, my forehead with because I'd never thought that. And then in the third round, I told my brother. I said, he smells bad, brother. Whatever it is, my eyes are burning. And I see them spraying something on on his shins in the corner. And I said, well, whatever they're doing, man, my eyes are burning. And he said, stick and move, stick and move. And I said, okay. So I started dancing more and moving and striking, striking and moving, jumping over this guy's legs. And because I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do. So then he started clinching me. He started grabbing my neck. And he started elbowing me, he started kneeling me, and I didn't know what to do. So when the bell rang, I told my brother, so what do I do, brother? And he said, don't let him grab you. <laughs> and I said, oh, great. He didn't know what to tell me. He, he had no idea because he'd never seen it either. So 
Next time he grabbed my, he just came and grabbed my neck. I actually picked him up over my head. I threw him on his head. You know, I threw him on his head trying to stop him. And he grabbed me again. And I picked him up and threw him again. Now, all the time, people are getting pissed because they've never seen that before. And all the Americans are getting pissed because they've never seen elbows and knees and clinching before. Mm -hmm. So now you got the ties pissed. You got the Americans pissed. They're all pissed. In the ninth round, he hits. You know, I went to sweep his leg and he kicked me. I went on my back. I jumped back up and the fight went on. See, they bet by the rounds. They don't win like who's going to win the fight. Mm -hmm. It's like who's going to win the round. So by then, Chuck Norris, all of them, they were, they were betting and they were, I was up winning hands down because they didn't know that elbows and knees mm -hmm. and clinching. And low kicking were, were uh, points, you know, because we it was never it was never nobody had ever seen it before. So then after that, the whole place started fighting. I mean, you know, it's like Chuck Norris, and you know, was like looking at the guy like, "Hey, pay up, man!" You you know, he was up like fourteen grand, whatever it was, and the tide jumped up in the sea, went to elbow him, and and Chuck Norris went back, and the fight went on. The fight, the Americans, the Italians started fighting all the way up the bleachers and all the way around, like if it was a wave. Wow. All the way around uh, the Olympic Auditorium, helicopters came. It was crazy. And uh, I mean, these ties were going outside. They were tipping cars over like a bunch of ads, man. They were just, yes, you know, I tell you what, wow. man. It was the first time ever that uh, Muay Thai was ever introduced to America. And so, uh, so we ended up. Um, they called it a draw, but by then they they're just saying they called it a draw, trying to stop it. But they they put my hand up, and you know that I won the fight. By that's because they still didn't know how to, you know, uh, give points to uh, you know to it. So so then in Japan they heard about. They said, "Who's this American? Just beat this Thai champion." And so I got an invite with four others, and so we went as a five man team, went to Japan. And I was telling my my guys, I said, hey, they're going to go right for your legs. So most of my guys got stopped. And so I was the anchor. And so uh, Suzuki came out. They thought, you know, I was wearing pants. And they, they told me I can't wear pants. And I said, well, I'm a martial artist. And they said, you can't wear pants. You have to wear shorts. I said, I'm a martial artist. I wear pants. And if, uh, if I can't wear pants, I'm not going to fight. And so I picked up my pants. I said, see, I got nothing in my pants. I got no medals or nothing in my pants. I got nothing on my legs. So they're just pants. So they thought, you know, so I started to walk off. I said, I'm not going to fight with shorts. And finally they said, okay, okay. Because they thought they're going to, he was going to beat me anyways. <laughs> and so we went, we went all the way up until the fifth round. Then I knocked them out in the fifth round. Nice. And after that. They, you know, they, it was quiet. I mean, you're talking about 17,000 people. It was a pin and you can hear it. It was so quiet. They didn't know what to do. <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't know how to. So I'm, I'm around putting my hands up and this and that. And then I did a, a backflip and everybody, then I heard a little clapping. <laughs> and I said, oh, that was eerie. And so two months later, they could not accept me taking their title. I was the first American to take their title, took their belt, and they were not going to, they were not happy campers. And two months later, they want, uh, I ended up going back and I fought their champion that was undefeated. He came out of retirement to fight me and I knocked him out in the fourth round. 
And after that, they kept on bringing champions. And after that, within the 10th champion I knocked out, they started bringing outside fighters. <laughs> and the next thing on, I started being one of the uh, Japanese. And I was the first American to be in their uh, ceremonies and so forth. And I had the whole kimono, the whole thing. And uh, so the rest is history. I, I went around the world. Uh, introducing kickboxing to the world. So what, for people who don't know, like what is the big main differences between full contact karate and kickboxing? Full contact karate is in the martial arts, you can sweep, you can do jump kicking, you can uh, actually uh, do a lot of spinning kicks, a lot of spinning back kicks, a lot of grabbing and takedowns and so forth. Mm -hmm. So in the martial arts, you can do a lot of technique. In kickboxing, I was doing all that but kickboxing, most people would throw uh, round kicks to the leg, like Muay Thai. They would do round kicks to the leg, round kicks to the head. They would do one reverse punch, and they would do uh, thrust ball kicking. That's what uh, Muay Thai or kickboxing were doing. But I created kickboxing like the martial arts. I was doing spinning back kicks. I was doing jump spinning back kicks, wheel kicks. I was doing axe kicks. I was doing things that that's why they kept on having me come back because they've never seen the technique like that. They were used to Muay Thai, low kick, you know, right cross and uh, knees and elbows. That's what they, they saw. But mm -hmm. I introduced Japan completely something different and something new that they've never seen. Wow. So at, at what point in your career did you decide that you wanted to start teaching? Did, did, you, did you start teaching before you retired or not till after you retired? Let me put it this way. I was at 14 years old. I had the biggest gym in United States at 14 years old. Wow. I was a you know what? I was a great teacher then. To this day, I always thought I was a better teacher than a fighter. Okay. I always, since I was 14, I love teaching. Fighting, I, I can do. Mm -hmm. I'm blessed I do that, but I love teaching. And so I've been teaching since 14. I had my first gym. And um, from that point, I mean, I my brother and I, we would run from our house all the way up to Sunland the Hunger, which is 18 miles away to the gym. We would run all the way to the gym. We would teach, and then they would drive us back. Wow. And uh, it's just something... You know, I thought everybody did it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, that's what, you know, I don't know. I just thought that everybody ran, everybody. Because <laughs> I've been doing it since I was three years old, so I didn't know any difference. So at, at that age, at 14, when you were running a gym, what what style were you teaching? My family system, it was called Kimpo Shorakan. Okay. Because we, we did hard styles and soft styles. So that was the name of it, Kimpo Shorakan. But when I opened up my gym, I call it the Samurai Dojo. <laughs> and okay. I, had a sam I, I had a samurai hat for my, my logo. It was a samurai hat with two cat eyes. Nice. And they said, and they said, why the cat eyes? I said, because the cat sees everything at night. Nice. Yeah. And so that was my thinking bad at 14 years old. That's what I was thinking. That's really cool. And when did the, uh, the jet center come about? The jet center came at, uh, 1979, 1980. Why is because my brother-in-law Blinky and I, I was taking kickboxing because the word full contact karate, people were saying, what's full contact karate? What is that? Like, uh, you know, uh, you're kicking and then, uh, uh, you know, you're, you're punching and stuff like that. And, and, and then somebody said, you know, uh, and I was explaining full contact karate. And they said, well, you, it's like you're using boxing hands and then you're kicking, right? Mm -hmm. And I said, yeah. And so, he, and I said, yeah. So I'm, uh, and the word came out of my mouth. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kickboxing. 
And so the word, I said, ooh, that had a nice ring. So I started calling it kickboxing. And from that point, I was going all over the place saying, this is kickboxing. This is not Muay Thai. This is kickboxing. And the difference between kickboxing, I said, for what I was doing, completely different than Muay Thai. Mm -hmm. Completely different. And that's what made kickboxing so popular because I was doing something completely different in the Orient. Completely different than that anybody's ever seen. So when you opened the Jet Center, did I'm assuming it was pretty successful pretty fast just because of your, your reputation? I had 40 countries. I had dormitory. I had uh, sanas, jacuzzis, Japanese baths. I had a full-blown restaurant. I had upstairs, I had sports medicine. I had um, uh, in the back, I, on the bottom, I had the state-of-the-art weightlifting. And then on top of that, it was a dormitory that I can hold uh, 40 people sleeping upstairs. And, uh, you know, and, and then the women's side is the same. They had jacuzzis, saunas, Japanese baths. I mean, no, I'm sorry, they didn't have Japanese baths, but they had jacuzzis and saunas. And uh, it, it, they had a beautiful, uh, where they do makeup and all that. I mean, it was, I was, you know, my brother and I were just ahead of our time. And Definitely. I, you know what, when I was in Japan and I had toilet paper, I was drawing on the toilet paper. And my, my brother-in-law said, what are you doing? And I showed it to him. I said, this is going to be our next dojo. <laughs> and he said, what? And I said, this is going to be our next dojo. And so I started explaining to him. And he said, wow, man, that's that's going to be nice. And I said, yeah. And we actually found a partner to come in and back us up. We did all the work. It would cost about maybe then, maybe $3 million. Today, it would cost easy $12 million to $14 million to redo that. Wow. Because we own the property and... Yeah, it was such a beautiful gym that people came all over the world just to come and I had fighters from everywhere that came and but it was a fighting gym. It I mean every I had the top boxers, you know, I had the top boxers come in and uh they will come and spar and stuff like that, used because it was such a beautiful gym. Because after they finished sparring and this and that, they would go in the weight room and, and do their thing. And I had people teaching weightlifting and so forth, and some for bulk, some for cutting, some for strength. And then they would go in the dressing room, they would take a jacuzzi, and then they'll go into a cold plunge. Some of them even like the Japanese baths we had in there. We had Japanese baths that you would sit down and and then some didn't, uh, some couldn't get used to it. So that we had about maybe uh, 10 different shower heads in, in the showers. Then we had a dry sauna and we had steam room in there. And then we had, I mean, it was truly incredible locker room. Wow. People just wanted to come in just for the locker, just, <laughs> just to come in and go into uh, the, you know, to the uh, jacuzzis and to the cold plunge and to the saunas. And I mean, it was on. Believable, and anybody got hurt, we just send them upstairs. We had full blown doctors up there. It was incredible. Wow! During its heyday, when it was you know super busy, super popular, about how many hours a day were you spending there training people? Actually, you know what? We had classes. My fighters, we would get up and we would meet at six o'clock in the morning, and we would run the hills. After we run the hills, uh, some will go back to the home, and some will come. They were actually living in the dormitories. We'll come back and they will eat. And then at 12 o'clock, we would do our heavy sparring. I mean, we had better show sparring 
then they were, uh, you know, outside shows. I mean, we had some <laughs> incredible sparring nice. and everybody there. I mean, and from boxers, I mean, we would go first and then the boxers will come after unless some of the, the champions will come in before us. And uh, we will close the uh, the windows for the paparazzis can't come in and watch. And um, I tell you what, and it was it was like the, uh, a school of boxers of champions will come in with their trainers and this and that, and then they leave, and then all the kickboxers will come in at twelve o'clock, and we will all do the sparring. Champions from all over the world will come in, and then they'll leave, and then uh, we would have privates, and then the first class will start. Okay? The kids class will start at four thirty. And it was, I mean, it was kickboxing, but the kids' class was that uh, I wouldn't say kids. Uh, they were twelve, you know, twelve years old and up. We didn't take them any younger. You're twelve years old and up, mm-hmm. because at that time their bones are are strong. They're they're hard. They're not soft. And by the time they're fifteen, let me tell you, we came up with some incredible champions. We I had seven champions underneath me, and then at the Jets' gym. The ring, I designed the ring to where it has lock wheels on it, and we can unlock them and roll it to the center. We can put 500 people around the ring, wow. and we would have our own shows. And so the, and we would enter, you know, we would actually debut. A lot of the guys from different parts of the world, they would come and they would debut and fight at the Jet Center. And uh, they would fight and so forth. And, and we had, I mean, up on the balcony, we had, you know, they would come and shoot everybody, all the... People would shoot up there. We wouldn't let them get them on the floor, but they would be up there shooting from from above into the ring and so forth. It was incredible, Jim. And so by the time up until 94 was my last fight. It was my last fight in 94. So my first fight was in 58. My last fight was in 95, actually. 95 was my last fight in, in, uh, in Vegas and, and uh, at the Mirage Hotel. And that, that was the first time the winds ever let anybody fight there. I was the first to start it. Wow. And uh, I was the first one there to actually start a fight at the Winds Hotel. That's cool. Yeah. So how did the, how did Hollywood start for you? How did you end up uh, getting involved in the movies? Well, you know what? Actually, I did a, I did a movie called Down the Drain. And they asked me if I wanted to do, you know, I, I had a student that was an actor and he said, hey, you want to come in and, uh, uh, see what we'll see in the on the movie set. I said, sure, I'll come and see you. So here I am. I'm. He didn't tell me what to do, so I'm there watching him. And then I end up standing. I didn't know I was in front of the camera. So the director said, and he must have liked my look because he said you. And I said me. He said yes. Uh, stand <laughs> over here. Matter of fact, create a fight scene with this guy. And I said uh, okay. And I didn't, you know, so I, I got this guy and I was showing him different things and, and I created a fight scene with him and my student didn't say anything. He was like, he, he was speechless. and he was just like, what, I, you just supposed to come and see me and, and then what are you doing in front of the camera? But so I ended up doing a fight scene with this guy. And so after the fight scene was over with and this and that, so I didn't know what to do because I'd never been on the set before. And so they said, uh, okay, uh, you have to sign here. And I signed. He says, uh, your call is at um, 6 in the morning. I said, what do you mean? He says, yeah, you, you come back tomorrow at 6 in the morning. And I said, what for? <laughs> and he said, you, you have to come back tomorrow morning to, to finish the scene. After that was over with, I told my student, what does that mean? <laughs> and he says, Susan, they want you to come back. You're, you're on the movie. 
And I said, what do you mean I'm in the movie? He said, yeah, you're on the movie. And I said, I am? He said, yeah. He said, you have a better part than I do. <laughs> and I said, I don't know what you're talking about. But he says, please, Sensei, be here tomorrow at 6 o'clock. So I went over there at 6 o'clock in the morning. I had no idea what to do. So I'm standing. And so the director said, you, what's your name again? And I said, uh, my name is Benny. And he said, Benny, go over there with that group. Put a fight scene together between all of you. And so the stunt coordinator said, well, that's what I do. That's what, And he says, I want him to do a fight, you know, create a fight scene. Because he obviously liked what I did. And so so I said, okay, well, how many? And he says, all of you fighting. So I told the guy, well, I said, well, who's the one that's leading here? And he says, I'm the main actor. And I said, okay, so you're going to beat us all up? And he says, pretty much. I said, okay. So I said, Start with him and we'll come in like this. And I created a fight scene. That's one thing I can do, man. I'm real creative. And I created a fight scene. So we showed it to him and blew the director. He said, oh, my God, what is your name? You, you Come here. You know what? I want you by me. Eh? I want you here tomorrow at 6 o'clock. Be here. And he said, after you finish this, I want you to come. I said, well, I got other things to do. <laughs> and he said, forget that. You're, you know, and next thing I know, I'm on the movie. It was called Down the Drain. And <laughs> and uh, next thing I know, it, uh, the next one right after that, I played a drunken hobo. <laughs> you know, I played, a, I played a drunken hobo. And, you know, these robbers come and they rob a bank and they, they see me. I'm on the bench all drunk and they put a suitcase down and they tore a hundred dollar bill in half. And gave it to me and they said, don't let nobody get this bag and we'll give you the other half of this. And they was running because cops were coming. So I'm thinking, okay, what the heck? And so I didn't know what to do. So I get, I take the suitcase and I go to these two police officers. They were eating their, they were eating their lunch. So I knock on the door and to tell them I got a suitcase and they're telling me, leave, get out of here. We're eating, go, go. And I, and I said, but I had, and he said, leave, leave. So I walk and then. These other two guys see me with the suitcase. So they come to get it and I just kick the crap out of them. Because I'm thinking, I want that, I want that other hundred dollars. I'm thinking there's a lot of wine going on here. I'm not gonna let that one go. And finally, so that that's my career. That's where I started. That's cool. So when yeah. did when did you start teaching celebrities? Did that happen before you got involved in the movies? Did they just start showing up at the jet center? No, the matter of fact, the stunt coordinator. He had me, I, I mean, I was connected to his hip. He didn't want uh, me to go anywhere. But uh, I'll tell you what, uh, he was he was my mentor. And his, his name is Charlie Paterni. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm sorry, not, not Charlie Paterni. Uh, his name was, um, oh, my God, I can't, I can't believe I. But anyway, he, he started taking me because he saw that I was such a good teacher that I can teach. And he said, how long have you been doing, uh, doing uh, picture fighting? And I said, for a while. And I never did it in my life, man. But I said, for a while. <laughs> but, I mean, I've been teaching the martial arts, but I never, you know, he called it picture fighting to me. I was I was thinking of doing demonstrations. That's, what, that's all I was doing is creating stuff for demonstrations, you know, live demonstrations. And, and But he called it stunt, you know, stunt work. And then they asked me, can you fall off that building? And I said, sure. And I said, what would I fall off on? He said, can you fall into that airbag? And I said, sure. And this was like five stories up. And I went up there and I looked. So I said, how do you want me to fall? He said, well, you're going to be running. You're going to get shot. 
and you're going to fall and you need to move your hands so we can see that you're you're not a dummy you're a live person and when you hit the ground just turn and hit hit the bag on your back i said okay so i looked down and i put it in my head that's what i'm gonna do first take boom no problem and then they said can you do it again i said sure and they changed the cameras with speeds and stuff like that went up there boom hey i was the one take kid boom just like that uh and uh that's how i started as he wouldn't let me go you know he just uh he just wanted and he took me to movie to movie with him because i was a great teacher and i learned very quickly and he was mentoring me teaching me how to do picture fighting which i said okay i can do that he said can you do that sure i can do that and there's not one thing that i couldn't the only thing that i was uh, i forgot the bridge that i was on but he says can you hit that water he said the water is going to be pretty hard but he says you need to take a flip and then land in your feet on that water because if you don't hit with your feet and lock your legs he said you know you can get pretty hurt he said can you do it and i said sure and sure enough i pump pump and they threw me off the bridge and i had my hands waving this and i did a flip locked my legs i went down but about maybe 10 feet my legs went forward and i ended up flipping and so i tweaked my back a little bit and i got out and they you know everybody's clapping and this and that and they said that was great that was great you know this and that they said you know what we have to change the cameras and the 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 film and this and that. can can you do it one more time i said sure but my back was hurting though i mean i had i didn't want to tell him nothing so i did it again but the second time i did it i landed perfect nice. my whole body was straight and i went straight down so after that i said i'm not doing that one no more <laughs> So anyway that that that's how I started my stunt and then I I ended up at the Lee Strasberg Academy they were looking the Lee Strasberg Academy all acting they never had any kind of they already had about 300 stunt guys coming in and because they wanted to teach stunt work as acting so they called me they heard about me and they called me so I went in and Lee Strasberg already passed away so uh Dave Strasberg which is son took over and said uh have you ever did picture fight I said sure I did a couple of pictures just that he said do you know how to teach uh stunt work I said absolutely and he said have you do you know anything about cameras I said sure and I just happened to remember when they were talking about depth perception on camera and he said yeah when the camera is from a from a distance and you're far away from it I said you're talking about depth perception there and he said yeah you're right he said you know what you're hired if you want the job And I said no thank you. Uh <laughs> I just came in, I just came to just to you know and so I said thank you very much though and I and I walked on. So the secretary came running after me. I, I went outside the Strasburg Academy. I went outside and he says please can you reconsider? Dave really likes you and so forth and I said I'm not interested. Thank you. And then he says here's his card. Please. They called me the next day. <laughs> and I said I'm not interested. They called me the next day. Finally, on the fifth day, I just got tired of the, her calling me. So I went over there and I said, "Look, it, you know, uh, I'm sorry. Your name is says Dave Strasberg." I said, "Dave, I don't know if I would like you, and and I'm sure you don't know if you would like me. But you know what? Just give this a go, all right? Just do it for a month and see how it works." Twelve years later, <laughs> wow! But I I started actually I created what is called stunt acting. actors they can do their own stunts and stunt uh, men can actually act in front because again 
if you can't act in front of that camera, you can't be believable, then you're no good to the lead actor. Mm-hmm. And if the actor cannot do little, little falls, because then they can't cut into it. So I was teaching the actors how to do rolls and, and, and falling and stuff like that. Just basic stuff, but like fire burns and high dives and car hits. I wouldn't let them do that, but I would let them do like going over a couch, going over a table. There, I trained them for that. All the actors. No, I didn't care. Tell you the truth. Uh, I mean, the stars, if you want to so call, mm-hmm. they're the ones that gave me the hardest time. But it was like hell week. The first week was hell because they would push me and push me. But I wouldn't give up and this and that. And I would keep finally the second week they gave in. Second week they gave in. And then they started calling me. All right, Sensei, what do you want me to do? Then I knew, okay, I got them. <laughs> nice. They're, they're ready, they're ready to work. But it usually takes me a, a week to 10 days. The bigger the actors they are, the bigger stars they are, I really had to work. But no more than 10 days. By then I earned their respect. I earned their trust. That's cool. Whether male or female. So that's how I got started in uh, the acting part of it, teaching stunt acting at the Lee Strasberg Academy. And then I had my student. Right now, he's still working. He's still teaching. And uh, because I wanted to get back into my art and I wanted to start traveling again and I wanted mm-hmm. to start doing seminars and so forth. So I, uh, and he was with me to begin with. He's one, he's been with me for, since he was 17 years old. Wow. He's still at the Strasbourg teaching uh, stunt acting there impressive i'm not sure if this is, i read this somewhere and i'm curious is it true that one of one of your students uh david lee roth from van halen dedicated the song jump to you i have this gold album that's really cool <laughs> you know uh, wow. basically when i was training him when i was training him this and that he had asked me he said you know your backflip he said you think you can teach me that i said absolutely he said you think i can do that i said absolutely so I, when i was training him this and that i taught him how to backflip and so forth. But it wasn't, uh, you know, I wasn't comfortable of him doing it, a backflip on concrete. Right. And so I said, you know, we need to put something on there. And so he did a backflip, but he landed on his toes and his knees. And I and he said, no. I said, you know what? We're going to do something else. And he said, no, I want to do a backflip, Sensei. <laughs> and I said, are you sure? He said, I want to do a backflip. So... After he did the backflip and so forth um, on the on his video jump, mm-hmm. this and that, the go he got the gold record and he said this. Thank you very much, and he gave me his gold record. That's really cool. <laughs> one of the movies I want to ask you about because it's one of my favorite movies of all time is Girls Point Blank. You got to fight <laughs> fight one of your students in it, which is one of my favorite fight scenes in the hallway of the high school with you and John Cusack. Just talk a little bit about that because that had to have been fun. You know, actually, uh, when John, actually, John was very uh, young. He did his first movie, Saying Anything. Yep, I remember I that. Was, when he was, he was like 17, 18 years old, somewhere around there. Uh, so I started training with him and him and, I, and the other actor, we started and he, he wanted he wanted to work, you know, he wanted to to do some action. So I started teaching him and so forth. And uh and then he got to the point where he started to get really good. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, he's six foot, you know, he's six foot four, six foot five, and you know, and for him to be doing kicks, spin kicks, he said, I want to do the spin kicks, I wanna do I said, John, your legs are I said, your legs, man, come up to my chest. <laughs> I said, you know, uh, and he said, no, since I, I want, I, I said, okay. I said, we're going to do that. Make it happen. So I started training with him every day working. And then 
he got to the point where I would bring the other guys in and I and I would tell him, I want you to hit him, but stay away from his face. And her son, Johnny, would just load up on these guys. And this guy would look at me and say, hey, I'm going to go hard, man. If you if you keep that up, I'm going to Johnny saying, go hard. <laughs> and I said, well, there it goes. And they came after Johnny, and Johnny just knocked him out. Wow. And I said, and I said, holy shit. And I said, okay. <laughs> In that case, I said, Johnny, hey, this is supposed to be sparring. <laughs> he said, well, he look at him. He came after me. And this and I said, well, you're right. Okay. And then I, you know, I got him up and I said, what's wrong with you? He said, he started hitting me hard, sensei. And I said, so why did you go after him like that? And he said, because, man, yeah, man, he was spooking me out. <laughs> And he said, I just chased him, man, you know. And he said, man, they said, no, I'm, I'm, I'm looking up at the, at the ceiling like, what the heck happened? So I started bringing guys coming in. I had good students who would come in and work with him, kicking and punching. And But you know what? Johnny was saying, don't tell him not to hit me, sensei. Don't tell him not to. Uh, and so so I would work with him. And and so I put, put on the headgear. I'm not going to hit your face if you don't put on your headgear. And I mean, I would hit him, but I mean, I wouldn't hit him to jar him, but I would, you know, I would let him know that, hey, you've been hit. You don't move your head, you're going to get hit. Mm-hmm. And But he, got, he started getting really good. He started really getting good. And um, then I had to calm him down. Then, you know, he got to the point where I said, don't get cocky on me. I said, calm yourself down a little bit. And then, and then one time I said, okay, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to humble you. I'm thinking in my mind, I'm going to have to humble him. He's getting too, you know, Cause he, I mean, I'm bringing guys in, and he's, I mean, he's running circles around him. And I said, okay, he 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 needs to be grounded. <laughs> and so I started putting pressure on him and this and that. And when that, you know, I mean, I hit him to the body, boom, and I just stopped right with the right cross going to his face. I just stopped, and he goes, Sensei, Sensei. And I said, So you want to fight for real? He said, I'm an actor. And I said, <laughs> Then act like one, you know. I said, quit, you know, quit acting like you want to go out there and fight professionally. And he said, well, I want to make it look real. And I said, yeah, well, you know what? You're going real to them and you're triggering them. They want to come back real to you. Mm-hmm. But I tell you what, we had a blast. And, and I made no bones about, you know, uh, I made no bones about when we, I said, when we do this film, I said, how do you want it? He says, I want it real, Sensei. I said, okay. We can go real, but just remember one thing. You know I have good control to your face. I will hit your face, but it with, with control. And I said, do you believe that? And he said, yeah, Sensei, I believe that. He said, so I can go to your face? He says, absolutely, Sensei. Don't, you know what? I trust you. I trust you and this and that. And let me tell you, man, man, he was hitting me. He hit me so hard with a sidekick, kicked me on top of my chest. My feet came from under me. My head hit the concrete from behind me and he said oh since are you okay and i said hey you know i can take a shot <laughs> he said all right since i said let's go again man let me tell you i, I had to put i had to put some uh ice on my <laughs> my back of my head <laughs> wow. from hitting that concrete but i tell you what when he hit me one time with a sidekick i went into the lockers and man when he when i got off those lockers you know the numbers on the on the combination yeah i had those numbers on my back <laughs> wow. day, man, he, he kicked me so hard they embedded in my back and I said, oh my god uh, but um hey we had a blast 
we had a blast, him and I. And um, I tell you what, he wanted it real, just mm-hmm. like Jackie Chan. He wanted it real, and so because he saw that movie with Jackie Chan, he said, "I want to make it real too, Sensei." And so Jackie Chan and I, we started. We won't. We changed the whole industry in the fight game when it came to fighting, mm-hmm. uh, picture fighting. Let me tell you, we changed the whole picture, and and that's so. From that point, I continued it with Johnny. Yeah, that fight scene with Jackie was good. That was on, on Meals on Wheels, right? Yes. Yeah, uh-huh. that was a great fight scene too. Yeah, uh-huh. Girls Point Blanks. One of my. I just watched it with my daughter about two months ago. First time my sixteen year old daughter for, and she loved uh-huh. it too. So much fun. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it was. It was a lot of fun. But I tell you what, man, that was a schedule for uh, three and a half months, four months, something like that. We did that whole fight scene and so forth. Usually, that's that whole fight scene usually would take two weeks to do. We did it in three days. Wow. Because we knew each other so well. Yep. And the point is, you know, there was no miss whatsoever. Because let me tell you, I felt every bit of it when I went home. <laughs> I was sore. Nice. I mean, you got you got a size fourteen foot man. His foot went across my chest. You know, <laughs> that's so yeah. awesome. When did you de- first decide to start writing books? And when when did you write your first book? My first book was in actually seventy eight. I did the first because what I what happened is uh, when I started kickboxing, the word kickboxing in seventy six, people were still not clear about what kickboxing was and i was going around dojos around here and i started going to different countries and i said you know what they still don't get it so i wrote this book kickboxing book the first kickboxing book in 78 and i started leaving that and that became the bible and in every third world country it became the bible of kickboxing and people use that to actually build the sport of kickboxing in their country and so I built the, the Jet Center in 80. I we start in in 79. My brother-in-law and I said we're going to find we're going to find the building to build on this toilet paper. We're going to build this gym on that I had mm-hmm. on toilet paper. I said we're going to build this gym. And sure enough, we within a short amount of time we found the building. It was a big bowling alley. Oh wow! And we found the building and so forth, and and Blinky and I looked at it and we said, "This is the dojo. This is the gym." And so, uh, in that, so we kept on thinking. So, what are we going to call this dojo? Did you know that we found out who owned the building? And you know, in three days, we closed escrow. In three days, unheard of. Wow, unheard of. But we closed it in three days. We were owning, we owned that property. And the idea was, what do we call this dojo? What do we call it? And and so our partner, you know, Jan Surchuk, mm-hmm. he's a builder. And he said, man, you know, uh, this this is this is going to be, man, uh, one hell of a center. And I said, yes, just call it Benny's, uh, just call it Benny's Center. And, and Blinky said, just call it the Jets Gym. And I said, no, and then he, uh, then he said, uh, Jan said, just call it the Jet Center. So it became Benny the Jets Jet Center. That's awesome. And then created the logo. And the logo was the uh, well, the hard part is creating the logo. If you really look at my logo, it has such a lot of meaning. If you ever looked at my logo, there's such a, it took us, it took us a while in my mind. You know, I went up in the mountains and I had this vision and by the time I came home, I didn't go and get paper, man. I, I mean, I got got 
toilet paper <laughs> just to keep it just to keep it rhythm. I got toilet paper and I started doodling on on this toilet paper and I came up with the logo. And my logo is known all over the world. Every third world country is my logo. So I wrote the book and when I wrote that book, I put the logo on it and took that logo in the book and it became, like I said, the Bible, you know, of everybody of kickboxing mm -hmm. in every third world country. Everybody used that to build the, the sport of kickboxing in their country. Nice. So I built the Jet Center. We built the Jet Center, Blinky and I and Jan built the Jet Center to have a home base where people come around the world and they will come there to learn the sport of kickboxing and take it back to their country. That's cool. So I want you to, to think back when you were 14 years old and you had your first dojo and all the way through now, you're still teaching, you still do seminars, you still do online training. What do you think has changed the most about your teaching style over the years? You know, back then, I created kickboxing to be a way of life. And a way of life is the I am concept to where I can turn you inside out and mirror your truth. And your truth, we all hide until you're threatened. If I threaten you, everything you hide okay, in your mind, in your heart, in your soul will come forward. Only when you're threatened, all that emotion will come up. Mm -hmm. And what comes up, fear. And what follows fear, anger. What follows anger, frustration. What follows frustration, anxieties. These are the emotions that we walk around in that we hide very well. Because my father would tell me, you don't cry, you don't show that you're afraid, you don't show you're scared, you don't show that you're hurt, eh? because people take advantage of you. So now, I'm learning this when I'm five years old. So I never showed. And most fathers want their kids to be tough, want them to be strong, prepare them for life. But some do it in a harsh way. My father did it in a harsh way because he was a boxer. And so when people say, how you feel? I said, I feel great. Even though I didn't feel great, man, I I, said, I would never admit it. Why? Because my father told me, don't show it. So I never showed any kind of emotions. And that was the hard with most, most guys, most boys don't show emotions because we hide it because we've been taught by our fathers mm -hmm. not to show it. Only when you're threatened, then it comes up, then it comes forward. And if, if it's not fear, anger, one of the two will show up first. Hey, and if there's anger, fear will follow right behind it. And after that, frustration. And then if you go to anxieties, man, that means, hey, I, I can't move. I can't think. I can't, you know. And I say, well, you're black, but why did you stop? He says, I froze. I just froze. So I realized I wanted to open up a jet center to mirror people's truth. And in the jet center, everybody in there, when you came in there, believe me, you felt a threat. You felt. Because everybody... There, we had so many fighters from different countries in the dormitory will come out and at, at 12 o'clock they will be drooling to see who will come in. <laughs> like, oh, you know, like they put their hand, oh, sensei, I'll fire with them. Sensei, I say, guys, calm down, you know, get, get your act together. But it was that kind of a gym that people in there, if you know what, you had no time for emotions in there. That's why we had so many champions in there because, and so many champions came out of there because, again, I would teach them not to, you know, to sh not show emotions. I taught them 80% mental is focus. 20% mm -hmm. of it is physical, which he's going to do anyways. And 99.9% .9 of the rest of that is internal, which is emotional, that you do not add emotions to that 8% focus. 
So at six o'clock in the morning, when the sun was coming up, we would be running up in the mountains and I would be talking to him. This is where your energy, your gifts come from, your maker and whoever you call your maker. And I said, this is not about religion. This is about who, your belief system. And we would be running the hills and I would be talking to him, programming them as we were running. And when we get back, we go back to the gym, we take showers, we eat a little something. And then at 12 o'clock, I would program them. Here, you will not show no emotions whatsoever. This, you will look in his eyes and you'll reach in through his eyes and you'll grab his heart. And when you grab his heart, do not let go. That's how you win your fight. Do not show emotions, but you look in his eyes and you reach deep. So I was actually programming him. I don't know if you want to call it hypnotizing you know or what, <laughs> but let me tell you, I had the yes sensei, yes sensei. Let me tell you, man, they went out wow. there and they battled. I had fighters. I mean, I had people from around, they will come up in the, on our balcony and we and they'll get their food in the, in, from the restaurant and they'll come up on the balconies and we had chairs and tables there. They will watch everybody spar. I'm talking about professional boxers. I was talking about professional kickboxers, professional karate. I mean, everybody. And it was a professional gym. And people would love to come. They and People, uh, you know what? We can only get so many people up there. Mm-hmm. And people will get there, be waiting. And they would be calling in for their lunch so they can get their lunch and grab it and run upstairs and grab a table or two to watch. It was that kind of a gym. And uh, the good part about it was is it was life. It was action. But I would train all my guys there emotionally. Do not involve emotions. Do not involve emotions. This is focus. What do you want? Look into their eyes. Reach. Tap in. Go into a deeper, and then at and then at six o'clock at night when the sun came down, I would teach everybody, and they would all meditate, and I would teach them in meditation, you know, how to create a workshop where their power comes from, and how to reach down and grab that power when they need it, and so forth, and how to heal their wounds. And man, let me tell you, so we train three times a day: six in the morning, twelve o'clock in the afternoon, and six at night. Those were the three most powerful times of the day. When the sun came up, there was energy coming up. Mm-hmm. Right when the sun was over your head, Father, Son, to Mother Earth, we were in the center, inspiring with that energy going right through our vertebrae, from the crown of our head to our feet. That energy was blasting. And then at night when the sun was coming down is when we meditate, is when our soul started to calm down. It started to get to the point where it was rejuvenating, rehealing, and I was teaching them how to heal themselves at that time, at six at night. And wow. then they will go take a shower, uh, take a jacuzzi, lick their wounds, do what they got to do, go upstairs, and they would just think about what had happened. Some of them will write down what they felt, what I taught them, how they interpreted, how they interpreted, and then they came to me and said, "Is this what you meant?" And I said, "No, this is what I meant." And they would write down what I meant. So they would always look back. It was like their Bible that they were writing down and they would have it with them all the time at what I taught them, how they interpreted and what it meant. And this is why we had the most powerful gym in the world. That's awesome. So I, this question I got to ask you, and Tom Bleeker <laughs> said, I better ask you this question because he, he thought you'd have a great answer for it. What, what are your thoughts on modern MMA and the UFC? You know, in the beginning of MMA, I'm looking at, hey, I started that back in 73, Mm -hmm. but only then there was no rules. 
it was just you fought the next person next to you. So that was already happening in 73, all the way, you know, all the way up until 75. And then kickboxing came and then they came up with rules. My brother and started creating rules for the WKA. And then the PKA was already started at uh, 74. So, so in that, as far as I was concerned, hey, to me, in the street, there is no rules. Yep. It's emotional. When you're good under pressure, there is no emotions involved in the street. Why? Hey, I've been stabbed. I've been shot. You know, I'm not afraid to die. What does he possibly can do to me? So, therefore, I was teaching in that realm of warriors, gladiators, okay? ninjas. I don't know what you want to call them, man, mm-hmm. but I'll tell you what. I was creating warriors. Uh, and creating warriors, 80% of it was mental. 20% of it was physical. 99.9% of the rest of that was internal. Where do they get their power from? And this is what I was teaching there at the Jet Center. I was teaching warriors. So they would go out back to their country and build other warriors that we can. My thought that maybe I can build, a, a, you know, Olympic sport that we can take it to the Olympic. If it was enough countries doing it, we can make it a, a Olympic sport. But uh, obviously, uh, Taekwondo beat us. <laughs> yeah, that would have been great. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's that was my thought back then in, in the 80s. Okay. So what about now then? What about modern, like the, the current state of like okay. the UFC? Okay. So as far as the current right now, you know, in the beginning when they started a, the word mixed martial arts, MMA started in by 75 when I was, that was my last fight. And after that, there was nobody else to keep up kickboxing, keep it going in, in a long way. So they started with this MMA. They started calling MMA from 76 all the way up to 2000 and then cage fighting started really taking effect mm-hmm. it really started taking effect and so in there there was still great technique round kick hook kicks you know doing i mean they were doing a lot of beautiful techniques and then in 2005 the techniques started dissipating and then in 2010 then for some reason the technique started going away then i started seeing less technique more you know one punch tackle take it down ground and pound Mm -hmm. and nobody can see that so there was less people that were doing technique they were afraid to do techniques because they were afraid to get grabbed and get going to the ground because they didn't know so they started doing a little bit just enough how to grapple just enough to get in there uh, and and throw enough to get out of the way. And then some of the ground fighters started getting up and learning how to do some striking just enough so they can strike and then go into the ground. And so it got to the point where they were saying, hey, they came to me and said, can you get some of these guys to stand up? Because when they go to the ground, people are paying good money to see the fight. But on the ground, they're looking up at the monitor. They're looking at the monitor because they can't see the fight on the ground. And they were losing front row seats. So they said, can you get them up on their feet to do more stand-up and stuff? And that's the problem. They they started losing the technique because they were afraid to get tackled and go to the ground. And then they get tired out and then they get arm barred or choked out or leg lock or whatever. And so now you got strikers who are afraid to really strike and let go because they didn't want to get grabbed and go to the ground because they didn't know what to do. So when 2000 came, everybody was doing uh, just enough to go to the ground, just enough. And then the ground fighters was just enough to uh, striking on top. But they lost the technique. They lost the Bushido way. 
and it became uh, a tough man contest. Now you got a lot of these boxers saying, shoot, man, I got, if, if, if I hit them one time, man, they'll be talking to their ancestors, man. You know what? I'm too strong. But, you know, that only happened, you know, uh, for a little bit. Maybe they got away with it for a couple of fights. And then after that, they got tackled, went to the ground and got choked out or armbarred or whatever. But they lost all the technique. So anyway, uh, I think that's uh, why it looks the way it looks. It doesn't really look a technical fight and hopefully they will get some good warriors that will go back and bring the stand-up again. I hope so. That, that's what most of the uh, promoters are looking for is to get stand-up fighters that are really good and not afraid to go to the ground and scramble and get right back up on their feet instead of staying on the ground. If you can't submission your opponent, you know, within 30 seconds, scramble, get back up on your feet, start <laughs> up, stand striking again. And that's what the promoters are, are saying. I'll give you 10,000 more if you can stop your opponent standing. I'll give you 15,000 more if you can stand up and stop your opponent uh, standing. Nice. And they're giving, them, yeah, they're giving them incentives to stand up, but because nobody can see it on the ground. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Makes perfect sense. All right. I just got, I got a few questions left here. I got this one in all your years of, of martial arts, going back to, you know, five years old boxing through everything you're doing today. Is there one philosophy you've learned that just stands at the top of your list? It's really important to you. You know, when it really comes down to it, as far as I'm concerned, if it's 80% mental, then it's all about the I am concept of what you tell yourself and your belief system really is the art of war, is the I am concept. What do you tell yourself? What do you believe? And if you don't have a strong belief system and you don't, you're not able to convince yourself, it'll never work. And to me, of all of that, that's internal power, internal training. Nice. Great answer. All right. This one, kind of a fun question. It, I mean, you've met and trained with so many people and you're friends with so many amazing martial artists. Who are like three or four names you would put on your personal Mount Rushmore of martial arts? Uh, you know what? First of all, to me, Sensei Jing LaBelle nice. was, is my hero. And I've known him since I was five and truly the master of disaster. And I'm telling you, uh, I have, you know, so much respect and for him. And also, you know, uh, also another that to put up in front mm-hmm. was my best teacher was my mother. Nice. Okay. She was the best teacher when I was growing up. She taught me internal, what internal training meant, what internal power meant when I was such a little kid. And she was always, uh, you know, I was... Not that I was her favorite, but I was her favorite uh, <laughs> out of 10 of us. Mm-hmm. And she loved of all, but for some reason, she seemed to really, she used to tell me, you're special. And I said, well, all my brothers and sisters are special. She said, no, they are, but you're special. And you're going to do something special out there. And my mother always used to teach me a lot of internal understanding. And some of it I didn't understand, but. Uh, I tell you what, she was my first teacher and my my uh, my first hero, that truly. And after that, my brother Arnold. Nice. He was a great teacher, but you know what? He taught me more external, physical. My mother taught me internal. My oldest brother taught me external. You know, a lot of physical strength work, running, this and that. Okay, that's great. But that to me, that was only twenty percent. And then when I started uh, with um, Sensei Bill Rosaki. 
he was also external, but kind of a little bit internal, but more external than anything like my brother Arnold was external. Jump kicking, this and that, faster, stronger. Okay, that was great. And then when I met Mr. Parker, mm-hmm. Mr. Parker in uh, 64, 65, he was teaching me internal training like my mother. And half the time I would go and tell my mom, what does this mean? Mr. Parker told me this. What does this mean? Mom, and she would tell me. And then I'll go and tell Mr. Parker, Mr. Parker, my mother told me this. What does that mean? Because <laughs> <laughs> they were both talking internal training and that kind of a power. So I realized truly the power is internal, not external. It's internal, your belief system. And so between my mother, Durazaki, you know, and when I met Mr. Parker, was a lot of philosophy and took me around the world, mm-hmm. you know, showing me different things. But when I had a chance to watch Bruce Lee, yeah. I watched Bruce Lee first in 64 when he first did a demonstration and he was talking about internal power. I never understood what my mother was talking about internal power until he started explaining. And he had this guy, 245 pounds with a metal plate on his chest and a chair four feet behind him. And he had his fingers on this metal plate talking about internal training, how he gathers up this power internally and this and that. And he went, ooh, and he hit the plate. This guy went flying back four feet, went over a chair. I jumped up. I said, I want to do that. And so with all that, I realized that he gave me the inspiration because I wanted to spar with him so bad. Mm-hmm. Wow. I, I never had a chance to, but I not not to prove anything. But I wanted to spar with him so bad. And I think that between listening to him, his philosophy, watching him perform, you know, I never had a chance to really uh, work work with him or work against him or or spar. But in that, to me, people always say, we know you would beat Bruce Lee if, if he was alive. I said, you know what? As far as I'm concerned, he's the best because I would never know. So I would never know that for as far as I'm concerned, he is the best. But what he's done, he is the best. And uh, there'll never be another Bruce Lee. I, but I said there'll never be another Benny the Jet either. That is very true. Uh, and so within that, with that being said, you know, uh, the internal training is truly the power of where people are missing on their journey. They're looking for an external power and they're missing the internal power of understanding why they exist. They're truly, because we all exist here, and everybody here is brilliant, but they sometimes forget because they've been reprogrammed by whoever raised them. If it's not their parents, because their parents put all their emotions into them for protection. By the time, you know, by the uh, three years old, they're already being reprogrammed. By the time they're five, they've just been reprogrammed by their parents' emotions for protection, but they have no experience of it. So from five to 10, they don't understand their parents' emotions, so they're out there testing it. Didn't I say not to touch that? Didn't I say not to go climb that? Didn't I say not to go over there? And, well, we have no experience of it. You say, why can't I go in the room? You know, and you said, don't, if you go in that room, you get it, you know, I'm gonna, you're going to get in trouble. And now I'm thinking, why? How come I can't go in the room? So from 5 to 10, I'm testing it. Yeah. I'm testing, you know, oh, why can't I? And then from, you know, at the time I'm 12 years old, you know, emotional, I'm starting to change, you know, and starting to get pubic hairs. I'm a man now. I don't want to be told what to do. (laughs) My voice is changing. By the time I'm 15 years old, people were telling me, I said, I know, I know, I know. And now I'm telling my 
I'm saying, well, a lot of my father's things that he taught me, I said, I'll never do it to anybody. I said, I'll never do what my father did to me. And I ended up doing it to my friends. For 15 years, 18 years old, I ended up doing the same thing my father did to me, to my friends. <laughs> you know, so it's a program. Yeah. And when it really comes down to it, you know, wow. the I am concept of what do you tell yourself? What do you think? Mm-hmm. How do you feel? And, and you know, and, and I think truly that's what the journey is all about. Yep. So it's about your belief system. All right. I just got a couple more quick ones really quick. Now this one, you can't pick one of yours. Do you have a favorite martial arts book? Yeah, it's called Benny the Jet. Other than yours. But you know, other than mine, you know, actually there's some great books out there and I can't pinpoint, but there's a lot of great philosophy books. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of uh, spiritual internal books. There's a lot of spiritual books. I mean, you can't really pinpoint because each and one of them have something great. But every once in a while, it's almost like you'd be walking with some friends and then suddenly you hear somebody say something. And you say, did you hear that? And yep. everybody's saying, like, what? And you, you Didn't you hear that? And you say, well, hear what? And you know what? It wasn't meant for anybody. Mm-hmm. It was meant for you, not anybody else. And those, if you want to call it a God hit, so be it. But you're the only one that heard it and it was and it meant something to you and it made sense to you. So I call those God hits. And I think that books sometimes remind you and who you are. Not that I have a favorite, mm-hmm. but most of these books that are internal. I like books that are internal that have meat behind it, that had, you know, that talk about internally about their journey and how they feel and how they seem to look at things in a different way. Because if somebody says, look at that, there'll be 10 guys looking at it with all different opinions of what they're looking at. True. So I think that, you know, I can't really pinpoint a name of a book because there's a lot of books out there that I read that, you know, that some I connect to deeply mm-hmm. internally than some. I said, oh, that's nice, you know, nicely put. Uh, that's differently. That's I never heard it put like that. Okay, that's great. And then there will be, when I do seminars, there'll be some great uh, philosophers. There'll be some great masters that will be talking out there. And I will listen to them every once in a while. Somebody will grab my attention and I'll walk toward them. And I will say, you know, you said this. Why did you say that? And they say, well, I said, I said, I said, well, what's the meaning behind you saying that? What, what's your experience behind you saying what you said? And, they, and then they would tell me their story and how they understood that. And I look at it and I said, you know what? I can relate to that. I can connect to that. Nice. I couldn't connect to what you said, but the way you said it is what made me ask you, how did you get to that conclusion? And when they told me that I can relate to. Okay. How about a favorite martial arts TV show? Well, you know what? Uh, I have to admit then that uh, everybody, you know, everybody when it came down to the Green Hornet, and yep. be, you know, yep. be, you know, you, you come on the, on the, that was the first thing that came out, you know, and, and it was a lot of action. Mm-hmm. And in that action, you know, I'm, I can relate to all the kicking and punching and jumping and, you know, I can relate to all that. So uh, that was kind of one of my favorites because I can relate to all of it. And then a lot of it, I would think, why would he do that? How come, how come he did this? Why would he, you know, and I would break it down. So when I go to movies with action, my wife doesn't like it. She said, I don't want to go with you. I said, watch. 
And then she said, you don't know how to look at a movie to enjoy it. And you got to break it things down. Oh, look at that. Boom. Okay, this and that. She said, you're no fun to go to, go to a movie, man. You're breaking it down and this and that. And, and then she said, what I hate about you is you tell me the ending of it, your version of it. And she said, I don't want to know that. I want to see it. And I said, oh, sorry about that. That's awesome. She said, you're no fun. You're no fun to go to a movie with. But anyway, I couldn't help. I just can't help it, you know, because... Okay. uh <laughs> that's okay all right well that brings to the next question how about now this you can't pick one that you've been in though it, it has to be one you haven't been in a favorite martial arts movie you know what to, to tell you the truth uh you know i if you're talking about me being in a movie is one thing but talking about a martial art movie out there uh did i see you know mm-hmm. like john wick and all of them you know yep. there a lot of it's to me i look at a story and a purpose and reason why they're doing what they're doing. And it's almost like they had no choice but to stop that person because their loved one was in danger. And and, and they, didn't, they didn't care about their life. They cared about their, he cared about his loved ones. Mm-hmm. So I like movies that have something that has a good story other than just killing, oh, another jump kick, snap yep. his neck, break his leg, you know, and trying to be clever how to kill somebody because it's all about, Okay, how can we kill somebody clever? I already killed them like that. Okay, how many? I already killed them. Okay, and they're trying to. I said, I look for a story. If there's killing in it, I said, let it be a reason for doing it. Let it be a reason for a protection, for an understanding that it will be a lesson for the next generation, mm-hmm. for something that somebody else will learn. Their kids, their grandchildren, and so forth will learn something from it. And I'm always looking for a, something with a good story that people look at it and will walk away and say, wow, man, I can relate to that. So I look for movies that have a deep something with a good story. And the action, I look at and I said, well, there's, there's a reason why I can see why he did what he did. Mm-hmm. I can see why he stopped that person. I can see why he stopped that woman you know, from hurting herself. And the only way he did that is he would have to knock her out in order to stop her to stop killing herself and so forth. And sometimes you have, but see, there's a purpose for doing something like that. You know, I don't believe in a man hitting a woman, but there's sometimes a woman that, you know, are going berserk that are, are taking stuff that they become extra strong. And, and sometimes you have to stop them in a way that, um, you have to physically, uh, you know, because verbally is not going to stop them. So physically, you have to stop them so they don't continue hurting themselves or somebody else. For I look for movies like that that has good story. Okay. And it has a purpose of doing what they're doing. Good. All right. My final question, and same thing, you can't pick one of yours. It doesn't have to be martial arts, just a favorite movie fight scene. You like breaking them down and, and figuring out. So what, what's what's one you've broken down really well and you, you really enjoy? Hmm. Well, that's... uh. There's, you know, I, I see so many fight scenes out there mm-hmm. and there's some actors that are really brilliant when it comes down to action and so forth. But, you know, whether you want to call me old fashioned mm-hmm. or, uh, oh man, I can't believe I just uh, drew a blank on his name, but, you know, uh, Green Horn, he came and he would, a lot of philosophy and I uh, can't think of the actor's name. He's a Caucasian uh, well, it was very well known, and uh, it was on TV. I can't believe I can't think of his name, but uh, but it was it was very you know I I really because he would always talk about philosophy, and he would go and 
take care of something, you know, take care of a problem very quietly, this and that. And then he would walk off quietly without making a big scene. And he was kind of uh, shaved head and so forth. And oh, not from Kung, kept, not from Kung Fu, David Carradine. David Carradine. Oh, okay, <laughs> that's him. You know what? Yeah, I like I liked even though some of the technique to me uh, for who I am and for what I did was kind of weak. Yes, but <laughs> but for what he for what he stood in his philosophy and and for what he did, you know, they had a good. The writers had a good idea about, you know, of fighting for the right purpose and for the right reason. I like kind of like that, you know. He had a purpose in in his walk, in his journey, you know. He had a really nice purpose in it. And and I like to feel, you know, because for me, I never hit anybody out of anger or bitter. Mm-hmm. I mean, to me, when I, when I fought, I performed. I, I've always was the people's choice. And that's what I always wanted. I said, I fought because I'm the people's choice. I fight for them. I came to give them a show. I didn't come to hurt him. I didn't come to prove nothing. I came to give them a show. They came to pay for a show, and I came to give them a show. And in that, that was my philosophy. It was not about hurting somebody. It's not about knocking them out and this and that. It didn't matter to me. All I knew is win, draw, or lose. People will walk away and get their money's worth no matter what, they will get their money worth and be entertained. So I still kind of feel that way at this point in time in my life that I have nothing to prove. I just go out there and uh, I, I, I did it for the love of it, not because, you know, not because I had to prove something mm-hmm. and not because I wanted a belt. Eh? I never, it never entered my mind whether I was going to get a belt or not or whether I was going to lose a belt or not. Never entered my mind. It didn't matter to me. Wow. All I know is people will leave and walk away fulfilled and get their money's worth. Yeah, you did it for the right reasons. That's good. That's something to be very proud of. Yeah, well, to this day, that's how I, that's my belief system. That's how I feel. That's good. Well, sir, I just want to thank you. So This has been such an honor to have you on the show. I've, I've loved hearing your stories, and I, I'm so glad we made the time to do this. And be, before I let you go, any any last-minute stuff you want to get out there? And I'll put links for your website and everything for your online training and your books and everything so people can check that out. But any any last-minute thing you want that I maybe forgot to ask you? Well, you know what? You said it all at one shot, and I couldn't say it any better than that. But <laughs> absolutely, that, uh, you know, I have all the above. And uh, right now, I'm just in the middle of my documentary, and oh, nice. uh, I haven't talked about it because I'm right in the midst of it. And um, after that, I'm doing a movie right after that with it. So uh, I got a lot of things going on. And but right now, my last book that I've been working and thinking about is about. See, everybody writes a book, or I, they they want me to write a book about what I've done. Mm-hmm. I am not, you know. I keep on telling people, you know, truly, I am not of what I've done. You know, that's not who I am of what I've done and who I really am. Because people always think they know me. People will say, I got your books, your videos, this and that. I know who I said. No, you don't know who I am. You only know what I've done, you know, but you don't know who I am. I want to write a book and internally and who I am on my journey and how I look at things through the windows of my eyes and how I feel. And now I'm going to leave that book, an internal book of who I am and who I really am and why I exist on this earth and what I came here to do and what I'm leaving here with. So 
Uh, that would be my last book. Okay. And that's when I would leave to this world when I move on my next journey. I will be waiting to re- I can't wait to read it. I mean, I'll definitely have to wait a while, but I, it'll be another one to add to my collection. But once again, I, I truly appreciate your time. This has been so much fun and I can't wait to get this episode out for people to listen to. Uh, thank you so much. It's, it's been a pleasure and it's truly, I will see you when I see you. Yes, sir. Have a good one. Okay. Thanks for listening to Everyday Martial Artists. We hope you'll join us every week for a brand new episode with a different martial artist telling their story. If you enjoy the show, be sure to leave us a review. Also, be sure to check out our website at everydaymartialartist.com. There you can find all of our episodes and contact us to suggest guests and ask questions. Again, thanks for listening to Everyday Martial Artists, and we'll see you next week.